0: And I uh, just want to remind you that right after the second service, we have our church picnic, and um, we invite you all to come. And also, um, and that's here, you feeling better, sister? Good, good. And uh, also, we're going to be having uh, um, you know, a baptismal service whenever any of you are ready. If you've never been baptized as a believer, see either Pastor Frank Jr. or myself. And we can make the arrangements. It's really uh, a testimony of our faith. And Jesus said, believe and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if you've never been baptized as a believer, let us know, because guess what? The summer is slipping by, and the water gets colder and colder. So just let us know. Yes, also Thursday, uh, anyone who would like to make it, we have a sign-up sheet in the back there for the retired and seniors uh, breakfast as well. Okay, if you'd open your Bibles along with me to uh, Genesis, Exodus, I'm sorry, just trying to test and see if you're awake, Um, Exodus chapter 7. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and there truly is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. It's the most powerful name in the universe. By it, the worlds were created, and by it, souls are saved and brought into the kingdom of God. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd work miraculously in our midst this morning, not only for our relationship with you, but that you might use us to bring others to salvation. Help us to understand, Lord, that this life is not about this life, but about the life to come. And so, therefore, I pray, Father, that you would anoint me and that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that the words I speak would be yours. Lord, take me beyond myself, that I might be an ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a body of believers that love you. So now, Father, come and minister, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, one of the things that we have to always remember is that the entire Bible is about redemption. Because right in the beginning of the Bible, we have the fall from grace, from relationship with God. And so the whole rest of the Bible is about redemption. It is always the Lord's will and desire for all of mankind to be redeemed back to himself. It tells us in the scripture that he is patient, wishing for how many to perish? None. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance in the name of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we have to keep that in mind. And as we read these portions, for instance, um, Moses and Aaron confronting Pharaoh and the people of Egypt, we have to understand that these plagues weren't just because God's angry and he's going to get back at them. These plagues were God's grace and mercy. Because when people are so blind and so hardened of heart and so unwilling to hear the truth, he's going to bring whatever is necessary to crack open their hearts. And so these plagues and these judgments were to open people's eyes. And as I shared last week, I believe a number of Egyptians really came to know Christ. Because we're told that when Moses and the children of Israel left, a mixed multitude also went with them. Which could have been some slaves, it could have been many Egyptians who came to know Jesus Christ. And so we have to realize that this is what this life is about. And even for us, even for you and I as believers, it doesn't mean, well, now I'm saved. I'm never going to have a difficult time in my life. I'm never going to have a trial. Now I'm saved. And if I do, there's something wrong with me or something wrong with God. No, 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 no. This life is full of trials. And no one is able to escape facing the trials that come their way. But it's our response to these trials That is such a testimony of our faith. You know, um, emotionally and spiritually, we have to understand that our connection with the Lord by the Holy Spirit is able to give us strength to handle those things that come our way. Because trials, think about it, trials, and that's what we're going to be looking at in a moment, trials can either draw us closer to the Lord or push us further away. And it all depends on our heart and our choice. It all depends on that. You know, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you write, take notes down, and verses uh, 17 through 18, it says this For our light affliction. Now, I I think a lot of us might say, Well, my affliction isn't very light. Well, yeah, it is in comparison to eternity and all that God has promised which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So many just read verse 17, and they fail to put it with verse 18, which is so important because it's pointing out that all these afflictions and trials we have are just temporary. We're going to be with the Lord. You know, and some of you young people don't understand this, but as you get older, you're going to find more and more trials coming your way just simply because you live in an old body. And the body was never meant to be eternal but temporary. And so as these afflictions come, there are different ways that you can approach it. You can either be angry or you can just accept it. Because here's the bottom line. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And what does it go on to say? Which is better by far. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. And so we have to realize that there is something so much beyond this life that really cannot even be compared to what we would call joy today. I mean, it is so superior to that. Now in this portion, and just like we looked at last week, Satan can imitate the signs and wonders of God up to a point. And some ask, well, why would God allow Satan to have this power? Well, we have to understand, I believe I have an, uh, you know, at least part of the answer for it, because love requires choice. And in the garden with our first parents, Satan used that choice against them. They had a choice. God said, you can eat of any tree of the garden except for the fruit that is in the center of the garden. And the day if you eat of that, you shall surely die, spiritually, not physically. And uh, it is a tree of, of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. You might be thinking, well, why wouldn't the Lord want us to have that? I'm so thankful that when we have our glorified bodies, we won't even know how to sin. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't even want to know what evil is. And that's the way it's going to be when we have our glorified bodies. And before Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, they didn't know. But Satan tempted them. And he tempted them that they might take, uh, partake of that tree the, in the center of the garden so that they would uh, fall from the grace of God. And Satan felt like that would make him a winner. But the reality is that in order for us to come back into the grace of God, choice is also required. And that is the reason Satan is there. There has to be that impetus. There has to be that, you know, uh, one who could bring accusation, one who can um, encourage us to make false decisions. There has to be that choice that we might be able to come back into the redemption of the Lord. And the choice is to choose God's free atoning sacrifice and the filling of his Holy Spirit or to follow Satan and the flesh in this world. That's really our choice. And when we choose to follow God and to be filled with his Holy Spirit and to be born again, we've made the right choice. Because in that, every sin that we've ever committed is gone. And not only is our sin forgiven, sometimes we get all caught up in that, and that's a wonderful thing. Because if we weren't redeemed, if our sins weren't forgiven... You know, if we weren't justified before, God would have no hope. But we're also promised that we're going to, be, going to be redeemed to the Lord. One day we're going to be with him for all eternity. And I always tell people that really, as believers, things go from bad to better to better to best. Because as a, as a believer, number one, your life's been turned around. And you've gone from seeking after the flesh and the world to seeking after the Lord. You're finding peace that you've never found before. You know, I I tell people, just to be honest, I've never had anyone come up to me and say, You know, Pastor, I've been really seeking after the Lord. You know, I've been reading the Bible. I've been in prayer. And I've had the most magnificent prayer times with the Lord. And I'm in fellowship with other believers. And I'm just so miserable. You never have that. It's always believers who are saying, man, you know, I, I know I haven't been praying like I should. I haven't been in the Word like I should. And, and I've been following some of the things of the world. I've been doing this and that. They're the ones that are saying, I feel miserable. So in this life, we can have a peace, Scripture says, that goes beyond understanding. In this life, we can have a joy that this world cannot give us in Christ. And when we die, we've got to be with the Lord. And when the rapture comes, we're getting an upgrade. You know, the code of who we are, God knew us before the foundations of the world were created. That's knowledge, nostos. And so God is going to take who we are and put us in the glorified bodies. Can you imagine? It would be like uh, going from a jute to a BMW. I don't even know what a jute is. I just hear people talk about it, some kind of car. And uh, maybe, But my point is, you're going to have a big upgrade. And then if that weren't enough, when Jesus comes back to reign on earth, the word of God says, we're going to reign with him. What's that going to be like? And then, if that wasn't enough, at the end of the thousand years, Jesus Christ is going to create a whole new heaven and a whole new earth, the home of righteousness, in which we will dwell for all eternity. That isn't just wives' tales. Those aren't just you know some fairy tale or stories that we hear. This is the truth of the Word of God. And when you have a book that is able to explain the creation of the universe, that is able to, ex- to explain the complexity of the emotion of man, I mean, this is the most amazing book in the world. Why wouldn't we believe all of it? All the prophecies of the past have been proven to be fulfilled 100%. Even in our lifetime, Israel becoming a nation. Now seeing all these nations coming against Israel that we read about in Ezekiel. I mean, Russia is in Syria. They have fleets in the Mediterranean. And there's so many things that are happening that are just bringing Ezekiel 38 into being. And when that happens, brothers and sisters, and it could be in our lifetime, It it could be this year. Every time we come around to the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement, I'm thinking, man, we're in that time period. We we might be gone. Boop! Out of this world. You know, it's kind of like when you're in a very dangerous situation and when you finally get out of it, you say, yeah, I was never frightened anyway. Yes, you were. You were shaking in your boots. And sometimes when we, I think when we get out of this world, it's going to be like, ah, it never bothered me. Yes, it did. We had our problems, trials, situations. So... I believe that's why Satan was given the ability to imitate some of God's signs and wonders up to a point, but only up to a point. And we have to understand and realize that it is Satan who seems to have the greatest power of all the angels. And why do I say that? If you want to turn with me quickly, if I can find it right here, um, uh i'm not going to be able to find it right off it's probably somewhere else in my message but anyway i'll just share it with you where it tells us that when michael the archangel and satan were disputing over the body of moses now what was that about i mean really there's so many things in the bible that are so faceted you know you know so many levels so what is it? why were they disputing over the body of moses Why did Satan want the body of Moses? But anyway, when Michael the archangel and Satan were disputing over the body of Moses, it tells us Michael the archangel did not dare to bring a reviling accusation against Michael. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. That points out that Satan has great abilities and powers. But here's the wonderful thing. As a believer, he has no power over you. Because we are sealed with the deposit of the Holy Spirit when we're born again because the Word of God says so. And anytime Satan looks at you, he sees the seal of God. And so he might be able to go after everyone in this world, and he can't go after us. Now, he might go after people in our lives, at work, whatever it might be, who aren't saved and use them against us, but he can't go after us. We belong to him. We're born again. Okay, Exodus chapter 7, and we're picking up with verse 14. You know, um, during VBS, my uh, fake leather Bible got uh, disappeared, it was disappeared, and I needed to get a new Bible anyway, because I don't know about you, but when I first started preaching, I used to use those little bitty Bibles with the fine print, then I went up to the standard print Bible, and then I went up with the large print, and now I have the extra large. Now, I could have gone to a legitimate bookstore and I could have gotten a um, you know, large, extra large uh, you know, letter Bible and paid maybe 100 bucks for it. Or I could have gone to Ollie's Bargain Outlet and for $19, I got this pleather, large print Bible. I, I love it. Only one problem. I used the flap that closes as a bookmark. You know why? Look at the color. I don't know what to do about that. If you have any ideas, just let me know. But anyway, we are in Exodus chapter 7, and we're going to look at verses 14 through 21 first. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. When he goes down to the water, and you shall stand by by the river bank to meet him, and the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not heed. Thus says the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink, and the Euphrates and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, take your rod. You notice it goes back and forth. It talks about it being the rod of Moses and and the rod being in Moses' hand, but then it talks about the rod being in Aaron's hands when he strikes the water. Remember um, what the Lord said, that Moses would be as your prophet. And so when either one of them, they're working in concert together, kind of like the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit work together. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, take your rod... And stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, over all their pools of water, that they may become blood. And it's not saying like blood, or, you know, it says become blood. There's no other way in the Hebrew you can take it than it became blood. And there should be blood throughout all the land of Egypt. That's why it was the, the ponds and the streams and everything else. So all of Egypt would experience this, not only those that lived along the Nile, both in buckets of wood and, and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and he, and he struck the waters and, and, uh, that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And the waters that were in the rivers were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, it's interesting because we find in Revelation, in God's last judgment on earth, the same thing happens. Only it's all the oceans, it's all the waters of the world turned to blood. <clears throat> and the reason the fish would die is they can't breathe in blood. Their gills don't work. Clog all up, they're They're going to die. And everything just stunk because of it. You know, um, we have to understand that it was because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart that the Lord continued to bring judgment. I mean, if the Lord brings difficulty your way in order to bring you to himself, and you confess and repent and turn to him... It doesn't mean all difficulties are going to disappear, but the difficulties that the Lord brings your way will disappear. He might allow things to come your way for your strengthening, for your encouragement, for being built up in the faith, but the Lord will no longer be pursuing you in that way because you're His. And so the Lord is bringing these judgments against Pharaoh and the people of Egypt, really in in His mercy, wanting them to turn around. And they're thinking... Look at here's the power of the God of the Hebrews. He's the one we want to be following. We want to turn around and go after him. So all of God's judgments were actually a demonstration of his love and his mercy. Now, remember it says Pharaoh was going down, down to the Nile in the morning, which was his custom. Why? Because the god Osiris, or Nyris also called the Nile, was the God of life. And so they worshipped the Nile River. And they believed that the water in the Nile River was the water of life. We know, of course, Jesus is the water of life. But that is exactly what they thought. And so when Pharaoh was going down to the river, he was actually presenting his daily sacrifice to Nyris to the Nile, to the God of life. But the interesting thing is, is that rather than the Nile being the river of life, as the Egyptians always believed, it would become a river of death. That's why the Lord caused this plague to happen, the water turning to blood. Everything in it died and it stank. It became a river of death. And so many today seek after what they think or at least perceive to be the good life but in reality it's death you know you can read about it online you can read about it in magazines or maybe you have friends and neighbors that you know this and their whole life they've sought after the things of this world and maybe to some extent have been successful and have really acquired a lot of the things of this world but their heart is dead their life is dead they have no joy they have no peace and that's very sad Because there is only one who can bring peace, and that's the Prince of Peace. And there's only one who can bring salvation to the dilemma and and to the anguish that we feel in this life, and that's Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. Jesus is the only answer. Because we have to remember, all the plagues God would be bringing on Egypt were to refute their false gods. I don't know if you realize that all ten plagues were related to the false gods of Egypt. Remember the rod becoming, and I shared with you that actual Hebrew is not a snake. That's nashatan, and that's not the word used here. Uh, Tanis is the word that's used here, and it means crocodile. So the rod being turned into a crocodile actually... ...was their god Nihilus. Nilus had a body like a man... ...and had a head like an alligator. And he is the one who was... Con- ...he was the god of darkness... ...and he constantly fought with Ra... chased Ra who was the, the god of the sun... ...the god of light. But this was one of the chief gods... ...of, of uh, the Egyptians. This... ...you know... ...crocodile head god. And what happened... ...when all the magicians turned their rods... ...into crocodiles... Aaron's crocodile ate them all up, showing that he was greater. And now we have uh, Nihilus, the god of life, and it's proven right here in front of them that the god of the Hebrews was more powerful than the Nile and made it a river of death. You know, God's purpose in all these plagues was that the children of Israel would be freed. And God's purpose in so many of the difficulties that come into our life is that we might be freed. So you're never going to seek freedom if you don't think you need it. Follow what I'm saying? And a lot of times we don't think we need freedom because, well, life is good, we think. And then all of a sudden things start turning around and just take a little bit of a different slant, a little bit of a different angle to it, and you realize, you know what? All the things in this life that I thought were so important, that I thought were so good, are nothing, they're death, they're empty. And so the Lord then gives us real life through his Holy Spirit. Now, the same, of course, is true today. God always desires for his people, for you and I to be freed from sin. And uh, I don't think there's anything that holds us captive more tightly and anything that gives us greater anguish of heart, than sin. You might be thinking, well, I'm not a sinner. Well, you're not Jesus. <laughs> no, you're a sinner. We're all sinners saved by grace. But the thing is, so often when we think of sin, we, we only think of the most blatant sins we can think of. But the fact is, in, in every day, you know, we sin and this, and we sin and that, and we have an attitude here, and we have an attitude there, we're angry at this one, we're, you know, we have all these sins that we deal with. And it makes life miserable. But all we have to do is go to Jesus. You know, First John 1, 9, you guys know my favorite verse. It's a conditional conjunction, if. In other words, you've got to do it. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. So in order to be purified, we have to confess. In order to confess, we have to realize. In order to realize, we have to be honest. Well, that's not really sin. Yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> I didn't really do anything wrong. Yes, you did. (laughs) I didn't make a mistake. Yes. We have to be willing to confess any wrongdoing we have in order to take it to the Lord. You know, there's never a time God winks at sin. Some people say, well, things are different today. It's okay if I do this. It's okay if I do that. It's okay if I indulge in this. It's okay if I indulge in it. God understands. Yes, he does. And his grace was not put in place so that you could continue Making excuses for your sin, but that you might be given the power to overcome the sin. We grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Excuse me. Because in the same way, this world and the desires of the flesh can hold us in bondage. And also in captivity. And yet the Lord is still saying, let my people go. You know the things that hold us into bondage and captivity. You know it. Every one of us, we have our things. We know what it is. And the thing is, we have such a tendency that after we're able to identify in our own life those things that hold us in bondage and captivity to make excuses for it. And while we're making excuses for it, it's still holding us in bondage and captivity. But what a wonderful thing to just go before the Lord. You know, we uh, sang the song, I Can Only Imagine. On Friday night, if, if none of you have ever seen this, you want to you wanna go see it. It's, on, uh, it's not on Netflix yet, but you can get it on Amazon and like that. And the name of the movie is I Can Only Imagine. And it's the true story, it's a true story about the young man who wrote that song. And he's the one who actually started this, the group Mercy Me. Uh, any of you who like Christian music? It, it was very powerful. I mean, it was a, a Christian movie, and usually Christian movies are very... Uh, you are know, like, hi, my name is John. I am a born-again Christian. You know, it's not like, but it isn't like that. I mean, the, the acting was really good. In no one you'd know except Dennis Quaid and uh, Cloris Leachman. But the the acting was superb in it, and the story was awesome. And I don't want to say anything more about it because I don't want to ruin it for you, but it's I Can Only Imagine, and uh, you can get it on Amazon and um It's really worth watching. Because here's a young man that was held in bondage and captivity his whole life. Even after he got saved, he was held in bondage and captivity because of a bitter heart. And then when Jesus Christ comes through and breaks that hard, bitter heart, it's unbelievable. And now he's set free. And now he can only Imagine. He wrote the song and the music in ten minutes. It was a triple platinum. It was one of the few Christian songs that crossed over and was number one on the country, a uh, country music hit list too. In fact, I and I can remember being in Walmart and hearing I can only imagine it's like, what? Walmart? You know. But it's a it's an amazing story, and I'm only sharing that because Here's an example of how someone can hang on to something, some bitterness, some anger that separates them from the Lord. And it's only when it broke loose that he was really freed. And he was a believer. And so even in us, as believers, there can be those things that we're hanging on to, or holding. We've got to let them go and give them to the Lord. Let my people go, he said. And you have to understand, <coughs> you know what... what uh, as far as you and I, being let go and, and going, it's just a matter of turning around. That's what the word repentance means, you know, Just turn around. And I, I was talking to someone uh, a week or two ago, and, and the person was saying to me that, I've just drifted so far from the Lord, I, I just don't know if I can ever come back. I, I, just, I just feel like I've walked away from the Lord. And I said to him, but he hasn't walked away from you. I said, do you want to find the Lord? You don't have to go running and go through all kinds of hoops and jump up and down. All you have to do is turn around. That's what the word repentance means. All you have to do is turn around and say, oh, you were there all the time. Do you ever remember that song? You was there all the time? And he is. That's the God we serve. And then finishing up with these last few verses of chapter 7, verses 22 through 25, Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, or their magic arts, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and uh, he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this, so all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink. Because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. So we know there's a time uh, period given, seven days before the next plague comes. As I mentioned last week, I don't believe these magicians were just doing some kind of a magic trick or illusion. I believe it was really in the power of Satan that they turned water into blood. And did you ever wonder... Where did they get the water to turn into blood? Did you ever wonder about that? Because they said he turned the Nile and he turned the ponds and the rivers and the streams and pitchers and everything into blood. Well, it, t- it tells us right here where they got it from. God is merciful. God is so merciful and so loving. And in the midst of this great plague that he brought upon the people, it told us that they could dig along the Nile and find fresh water to drink isn't that amazing? So in the midst of whatever is going on, the Lord provides a place where we can find fresh water to drink. But the magicians, I mean, you talk about their stupidity. So they take this fresh water that they can find along the Nile, and they turn that into blood. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, how silly can you be? Hey, we don't have any drinking water. Let's, try, let's take the drinking water we have and turn it into blood. You know, I'm, I'm sure the people were looking at these magicians and thinking, what's up with you guys? You guys are insane. And that is the work of Satan, though. You know what happens when things are very difficult for you? Satan's desire is to make them better so that you feel good. And you... No, when things are going very badly for you, Satan wants to make them worse. Do you ever hear that old euphemism? metaphor don't kick a man when he's down when you're down satan can't help but kick you over and over and over again but the reality is when you're down on the ground and being kicked around by satan you can't get up but jesus can lift you up and so no matter how far down you are no matter how much satan is kicking you around all you have to do is put a hand up and say jesus And that's our loving God. And he reaches down, Scripture tells us, right into the mire and lifts us out and washes us clean. What a God we serve. What a loving, loving God. And that's one of the reasons that I love the sacrament of communion because it's such a reminder of what the Lord does for us. <clears throat> you know, it's just like being baptized, taking communion. I think sometimes people think, oh, that's just some silly sacrament, just some silly thing we do. No, it's not. When you're baptized over in our swimming pool, it's our swimming pool. It's just plain water in there. Just run through a filter and chlorinate it. And when you get in the water, it's just you as a person. But when you submit to being baptized and confess your sin, as Romans 6 tells us, You're opening your heart and your life to the Lord. And you're saying, Jesus Christ, when I go under that water, it is like I'm dying to my old nature and to my sin. And when I'm being lifted up, I'm being lifted up by you to follow you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So baptism is a beautiful thing. It is symbolic as far as what we're actually doing, but it's not symbolic as far as our heart is concerned and what it means to us. And the same thing is true with communion. This is matzah bread that we probably get at Wegmans. But it's the right thing. I mean, Jesus used unleavened bread. And this is Welsh's grape juice, because we don't drink wine here on communion. This is Welsh's grape juice, the fruit of the vine. You know, it's... But here's the point. Jesus said, as often... As you drink of this cup and eat this bread, you do it in remembrance of me. Remembrance of what? That he lived? That he walked the earth? That he was the fulfillment of all prophecy? That he was the Messiah of the Old Testament? That he is Yahweh himself? Yeah. But what he really wants us to remember is his love for you and for me. Jesus didn't come to this earth to perform some kind of an eagle trip on his own, own behalf. He came to this earth out of love for you. Because each one of us, outside of Jesus Christ, we are stinking Nile sinners. It's like the Nile stunk. We stink with sin. This whole world stunk with sin. And Jesus said... I'm not willing that it would continue that way. Man was created in the image of God. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. And I want to be back into relationship with them. So I'm going to come to earth in the normal way, born of a woman. I'm going to be obedient to my parents right up until I become a man. And then I'm going to work as an apprentice in my father's carpenter shop until I'm 30 years of age. The age of the priesthood. Did you know that? That's 30 years of age. And then I'm going to go out and I'm going to preach the eternal kingdom to all who would listen. And he preached the eternal kingdom. He preached salvation as a free gift. And then in order to fulfill his promise to bring redemption there had to be a perfect sacrifice when jesus christ walked into the water to be baptized by his cousin john they were only six months apart they probably grew up together but when john saw him walking into the water he said behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the whole world and he said i should be baptized by you and jesus said no He said, all righteousness has to be fulfilled. And John baptizes him, lifts him up out of the water, and the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove alights on him, and a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit present the Trinity all at one time. What were people thinking? Can you imagine being there and seeing that? Jesus was being prepared just like the lamb was prepared for the sacrifice that we'll be getting into later on and he was prepared and he went and he died on that cross his humanity jesus Yeshua, hamashiach jesus joshua the messiah the lamb of god truly and really died on that cross that wasn't fake He felt, he was tempted in every way as we were, Scripture tells us, and he felt every pain we did. He didn't somehow, you know, oh, this doesn't even hurt me. He felt every pain. He felt every hurt. But the thing that absolutely burdened him the most, that was the most difficult for him to handle, is at that moment when he cried out, quoting the 22nd Psalm, Go to the 22nd Psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 22nd Psalm is all about crucifixion 600 years before the Romans invented it. Why have you forsaken me? Now, why was he saying that? Because at that moment, God had to turn his head from him. Because your sin and my sin, every one of them, past, present, and future, and the sin of all mankind from the beginning to the end, because Jesus lives outside of time, all of those sins were laid upon the perfect Lamb of God. And so when he died on that cross, he died as the sacrifice for our sin. But the wonderful thing is, he didn't stay dead. You know, we sing that song, up from the grave he rose." What a beautiful song. Because he arose, that means he's a living sacrifice. And that's why scripture tells us that he sits at the right hand of God the Father to make continuous intercession for the saints. You know how wonderful that is? Oh, I fell a sin this morning. Well, the Lord's forgiven you. He works continuous intercession for you. So it's amazing. When we take communion, it's not just well, a little cracker, a little juice. No, no. What does it mean to you in your heart? Do you recognize all that God has done for us? It's such a blessing to know Jesus. It's such a blessing to know we don't have to continue on in the frailty of our own thinking and of our own heart. But we can have a joy that surpasses understanding. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we thank you so much for your word and the truth we find in it. And I ask, Lord, as we participate in this communion together, it would really speak to our hearts I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could have my brothers come forward. When Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, the Gospel of John tells us it was preparation day. And he took the unleavened bread and he broke it. He said, This is my body broken for you. I don't know if they fully understood, but we do. And then when he took the cup, And he said, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. They didn't understand probably all that it signified, but we do. This is the blood of the covenant, of the new new covenant that you and I can be forgiven. Our sin can be washed away. And so therefore, as believers, we have to understand his body was broken for our redemption. His blood was shed for our sanctification. And so, therefore, take my brothers and sisters and eat and drink and be so thankful. Thank you, Lord, for this sacrament. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that every time we take it, it would be like new. It would be like the first time. Just reminding us of your love, reminding us of your compassion, your grace, and your mercy. And so now, Lord, bless to our bodies and to our minds understanding all that we've done this morning. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, my friends.